you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. You're having a great holiday. By the way, if you haven't got my present yet, I've got a list outside with my preferences and things I don't already have. I know many of you cannot, but uh, come Tuesday night for the um, communion service at 6 o'clock, but it's really a, a cool time. You can make it for us to spend together as our church family, and we were talking about this in a staff meeting last week. One of the most, other than Easter Sunday, and maybe in some cases even more so, that a lot of non-believers attend church on Christmas Eve. I have some theories of why that's the case, but we won't go into that right now. But it's interesting that there are a lot of people who aren't believers who go to a communion service or a Christmas Eve service. So, it's, again, it's another opportunity for us to, as Christians, share why it's so special to us and for others to hear that. But if nothing else, it's a great time for us as, as the family of God who worships at Christ Church Arlington to come together and share communion together, sing Christmas carols, the Christmas story, and do a couple of the little things. So if you can be here Tuesday night, I think you would uh, enjoy that. So as we think about Christmas and that, that first Christmas, we've been tying it in to our study in Malachi. I want to do something before we get into Luke chapter 1 today. I want you to think for a moment about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, outside the Bible. So let's forget the Bible for just a moment. This man who lived 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph, humble guy, uh, lived and grew up very humble, son of a carpenter in a, a town that people laughed at and mocked and wanted nothing to do with called Nazareth. Yet, you think about it, forget the Bible for a moment. Think about who this man was. Out of the two, out of the six billion people that are on this planet today, approximately six billion people, two billion of those claim to be followers of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, call themselves Christians, one-third of the world's population. Quote, Christianity is the most extensive and universal religion in history. There are Christians and Christian churches in every inhabited country in the world, and in two-thirds of the world's 223 countries, the population is over 50% Christian. So the first indisputable significance of the birth of Jesus Christ is that the life of this man has influenced more people over the course of human history than any other single man. Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, or even Moses do not compare to the extent of the influence of history in the world of this man, Jesus Christ. Secondly, virtually, quote, every person in the modern, western, and most of the non-western world calls today what? December, what? Go ahead. What's today's date? Very good. December 22nd, 2000. Where did 2013 come from? The life of Jesus Christ. So even those who mock him, want nothing to do with him, when they wake up and they look at their calendar, what are they looking at? Something based on the life of whom? Jesus Christ. When they, they want to know what the date is based on the life of Jesus Christ. When they write a check, and they put a date on their check to pay something, to buy something. If they use checks, the date they put on there is based on the life of whom? Jesus Christ. The most significant human being that's ever walked planet Earth. Forget the Bible. Just read history. Just look around. We base everything, we base our very existence on the life of this man. Quote again, The religious, historical, and cultural significance of Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, is so huge that no one can begin to give it an adequate description. Now here's the fact. Will we ignore this man and take him lightly, in spite of him being the most influential man who ever lived? Or will we inquire earnestly into who this man was and why he changed the world so deeply? For example, what is today? Not the date. What day of the week is it? Why do we worship on Sunday? 
Because this man, Jesus of Nazareth, whom we call the Christ or Messiah, rose from the dead on a Sunday. So literally, worship by Jews was on Saturday, and the early church, being almost exclusively Jewish, switched their day of worship would have been Saturday for how long? A significant amount of time. They switched it to Sunday. Why? Because he just rose the dead and did. He saw it. The accounts we have in the Bible are based on eyewitness historical evidence that the man rose from the dead as he said he would destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. We saw last week as we began to look at Luke that Luke's goal was to write an orderly historical account based on eyewitnesses, based on on text, based on things that he had seen or others had seen, an orderly historical account of the life of this man, Jesus, whom we call the Christ. So even if you don't believe the Bible, you have to say, who was this cat? Who, why do so many people follow him? Why do so many people think he was God? Why? Examine his life. Now, we as Christians celebrate that the baby came. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. We celebrate unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, because we believe the historical account. We also believe that what the Bible says is true because it is proven itself to be true. It's based on the evidence. The evidence points to the fact that Jesus, when he claimed to be God, was correct. So we saw last week, again, now take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. If you haven't already, we're going to start today in verse 18. We began last week to look at the birth of John the Baptist leading up to the first Christmas. We've seen in Malachi that God promised to send three messengers. He sent Malachi himself. Then he sent the messenger to prepare the way of the Lord. That was John the Baptist. And then he was going to send the messenger of the covenant. And that we know to be Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Son of God. Jesus our Savior. As Gabriel announced to Mary, announced the shepherds unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ or Messiah, the Lord. He is Savior. He is Messiah. He is Lord God. Significant. Yes. The apex of all history. We celebrate at Christmas leading up to Easter. So we began to look at the birth of John the Baptist and his dad, Zacharias, and talked about the priesthood last week and how last, his being a priest last week and how his prayer was answered. And we looked at the meaning of the names of Zacharias and Gabriel and Elizabeth and John. All that's on your outline, and we're not going to go back over that today. I want to start with number two today and look at, at this moment in time, where Zacharias, we saw last week, was chosen to burn incense, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity And it just happened to fall at this moment in time. No, God was in control. God was sovereign. He set it up so that Zacharias would burn incense at this moment in time. God said, your prayer has been answered. Your wife, who is barren and has been barren her whole life, will have a son. And he will prepare the way of the Lord. So I want us to start with number two today, Zacharias' punishment. Verse 18, chapter 1 of Luke. And Zacharias... And Zacharias has said to the angel, how, Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. In other words, we can't have children. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. I love the Bible, and I love the way it, te- it just tells you the truth. What you see here, Zacharias is not perfect. 
Now, he's had this incredible honor. We talked about this last week. He gets to burn the incense. You were only, you're only allowed to do it one time in your life. If you even got chosen, he did. He's right there before the Holy of Holies. And Gabriel shows up and announces to him, your wife's going to have a baby. Your prayer's been answered. And what does he say? Now, that, how's that going to happen? She's been barren all these years, and we're, we're really old. We're not having children. In other words, he didn't what? He didn't believe it. Would you not probably have reacted the same way? Yeah, probably so. What does Gabriel say to him? You're going to be what? You're not going to be able to speak for nine months. And if, you, if we, we'll read on as we see, he probably also couldn't hear for nine months. What's going on during that nine-month period of time? Yeah, absolutely. His wife gets pregnant. What would you like to do if you were the man there in this situation? Your wife's been barren all these years, and suddenly she's going to have a baby. What would you like to do? Woo! Look here, dog. We're having a baby. And not only that, God has answered that. Remember we, we saw last week, that because she was barren, she was a son, she was in the line of Aaron, the high priesthood. Her husband was a priest, and for her to be barren was considered a sign of God's judgment on you, sin in your life. What we like to do, we like to judge others, what's going on in their lives. See, God had a plan. There was a reason she was barren. She was going to be, have the miraculous birth of the one who was going to prepare the way of the Lord. And now Zacharias, that's happened to Zacharias. Wouldn't you kind of like, if you were Zacharias, to go to those people that have been mocking you and your wife all these years and saying, hey, what do you got to say now, dog? And guess what? He goes to him and he goes, he doesn't get to say anything because God is going to teach him a lesson. Now listen, principle-wise, I really want you to see this. How many of you are perfect? Okay, good. I love this principle. so important for us to stand. Don't ever be ashamed to go out and share your Lord and share who Jesus is. Do you think you're not worthy enough? Guess what? You're not. But God has chosen you. Just like he chose Zacharias. He saved you. Just like he said, we saw Zacharias was a godly man, wasn't he? He was godly. What was he not? He wasn't perfect. Just like you're not perfect. But God has placed, just like Zacharias was chosen by God for this moment in time to be the father of John the Baptist, the promised one from Isaiah, the promised one from Malachi. He'd chosen Zacharias for this incredible honor, not just to burn the incense, but to be the father of the one who would prepare the way of the Messiah, Christmas. And Zacharias didn't believe it. And Gabriel said, I come from the presence of God to bring you these glad tidings. Your temporary punishment for not believing that is you're not going to be able to speak. Probably was not also able to. It's nine months of time. When the wife's, your wife's pregnant, you're not going to be able to talk about it. You're not going to be able. Just a reminder. Look at verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. He's in there burning the incense, and they can't, they're outside, and they can't see. They wonder, what's taking him so long? When he came out, he could not speak to them. Now, what are they thinking? They don't know you. What are they thinking? He comes out. He's been right before the presence of God burning the incense. He comes out, and he can't speak. What are they thinking? Ooh, he did something wrong. God has zapped him. Sometimes temporarily, if you're born again, you're a child of God. How many of you have ever had to punish your children? How many of you think you probably need to do that right now? You've had, you punish your children. My dad used to punish me just for the heck of it. God doesn't do that. My dad used to punish me because my brother was so bad. Literally, I, you think I'm making, I had an older brother who was, who was like serious knucklehead. And when my dad, here's what my dad whipped us with. He had a, he had a uh, flexible house shoe with a wooden heel. And he just would say, hand me my shoe. And you were like, oh, dad, please. He said, Ricky did this. That's my brother. He said, Ricky did this. But just in case, he hit me. That, that, doesn't matter. God's not like that. God's perfect, God's holy, God's just. So he's going to teach Zacharias a lesson. But in the process, because Zacharias didn't believe God's word, he gives him a little reminder. Verse 23, so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, and that would have been a week, that he departed to his own house. 
So for that period of time, he departs for his own house. For that period of time, for nine months, he has a daily reminder, doesn't he? A daily reminder that I, I didn't believe God's word. He, he sees his wife. She's pregnant. The baby's growing. He sees it, excited about it, but he can't talk about it. So what does he get to do for that nine months? He can't talk about it. God was trying to get his attention. What does he get to do for that nine months? He gets to ponder. He gets to pray. He gets to meditate on God's word and be reminded, I need to trust God. Even though it sounds crazy, I can't have a, I'm too old to father a child. My wife's too old to have a child. God said we're having a child. So what does that mean? We're having a child. Because look at her, she's pregnant. And wouldn't he, as a priest, as a godly man, he made a mistake. He didn't believe God. Example after example, that throughout the Bible, example in your own life, sometimes God has to get their attention. Prune, there's a verse in the Bible God taught me when I, 13 years ago, almost 14 years ago now, when I had my open heart surgery, and I'm laying in ICU, begging God to kill me. I hated it. I felt so bad. So I spent 20 days in and out of the hospital that month. The verse that God reminded me, I kept coming back to, was be still and know that I am God. You be still and you know that I'm God. Zacharias didn't have any choice, did he? God, God didn't have to say be quiet. He took care of that, didn't he? You just, I tell you, sometimes don't you wish you could do that with your wife, I mean, uh, your husband, with your, with your husband? God said, be still, Randy. No, I'm God. The church will still be there when you get back. Sure enough, it was. It'll still be there. They're going to get by, all right, without you. When you get back, in the interim, you're going to go through open heart surgery. You're going to go through all the pain. You know what the worst part, trying to cough? They give you that stupid thing, say cough. Those breathing treatment. No, don't bring that thing in front of me. I didn't like it, but I had to go through it. Now, God wasn't punished for something I had to go through. But in the process of going through it, what did I learn? God just loves me. still his little boy. Now, this very week, a friend of mine had open heart surgery. I can call her and I can say what to her. I know what. I know what going. How, how do I know? Because I went through it. I've been there. I know how bad you feel. So when I pray, I can empathize. God never makes a mistake. God never wastes it. So he has to wait. Daily reminder. And in verse 24, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. They see the display of God's power. She does get pregnant. You see the little phrase here to take away approach, re, the reproach among the people? I mentioned it a moment ago. He mentioned it last week. That because she wasn't pregnant, because she couldn't get pregnant because she was barren, people looked down on her. You see what she's saying here? They're not going to look down on me anymore, are they? Now, I'm just, not just that I'm having a baby, not just that I'm having a baby as an old woman, but I'm having this very special who will prepare the way for the Messiah. The only honor a, a Jewish woman could have that would be any higher would come up in six months to be the mother of the Messiah that Mary was. This is an incredible honor for Elizabeth and for Zacharias. They had to be mocked and laughed at to get there. They got there. They were godly people. Not perfect. God, God has taken away my reproach. Now, let's look at the next point. The purpose of Zechariah. What was God doing? Look at verse, drop down to verse 57. Verse 57. Now, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. I love these people. Who were they, what were these same people doing nine months earlier? Or, yeah, nine months earlier, what were these people doing? They were laughing at her, mocking her, looking down on her, weren't they? weren't they? Now they see God's blessed her and they want to get in on it. They want to rejoice with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, no, his name shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father. What would he have him call? Why are they making signs to Zacharias? Because he can't hear or speak. Still there. He asked for a writing tablet. Can you imagine? Be Zacharias for a moment. What's the one thing you want to do more than anything else? Talk. You think he's learned a lesson in nine months? What's the lesson he learned? When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it and trust him. What's the lesson I can take away just from that? When God tells me in his word something, I can do what? 
I can trust. Because Gabriel came from where? The presence of God with glad tidings. When you open your Bible and read, what are you getting? You're getting words from throne God that good knew you. The Bible, God, word, us. When you open it and you read it, it's God's sharing with you. I love you. I love you. Don't do that. Do that. Don't do that. Trust me. Live this way. Have faith. Verse 63. He asked for a writing tablet. They wrote saying, his name is John. They all marveled. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke. Notice, what's the next phrase? Spoke what? Praising God. Please don't miss that. That's the great principle that you take away from Zacharias. God had taught him a lesson. He got it, didn't he? Here's the principle. When God disciplines in my life or God punishes in my life, it is always to drive me to the point that I'm praising him, even for the punishment. For example, when you discipline your children, why are you doing that? Because you're mean and you like to spank them? You like to ground them or you like to take stuff away from them? Why are you disciplining your children? Because number one, you what? You love them. Number two, you're trying to teach them something that's good for them. Now, they're looking at you going what? For example, Brock Nance, when Steve has to discipline Brock. I know Brock, nice kid. Never gets in trouble, never does anything wrong. Daddy never has to get on to him, but let's say he does. One time, what's Brock thinking? Why are you doing this to me? Not, you know, my dad is the greatest dad in the world. I really appreciate him. I really do. See, I know Steve Ness loves Jesus, and if he disciplines Brock, why is he doing it? Because he loves Brock, and he wants Brock to learn something. Don't do that, son. Not only is that stupid, it'll hurt you. Trust me, I'm your dad. Your, your heavenly father, was he trying to teach Zacharias a lesson? Sure he was, and he got it. Because he's, for nine months, he's had this incredible time with God, and it's going on in his life. And just from a human point of view, when suddenly your tongue is loose and you could speak, the first thing you might want to say is, that's my boy. That's my boy. I'm having a baby. My wife's had a baby. We're here to circumcise my son. That's not what he said, was it? Now, we know exactly what he said at first, but what we do know is that what he said was praise God, praising God. Yes, for John, but just praising God for the fact God keeps word. Praising God for the fact God is sovereign over the incense. Had me there at that moment. Praise God that he's sovereign over the body. If he wants my old body to father a child, he can do that. If he wants my wife who's, who's barren to have a child, he can do that. Woo, my God, it's something else. Praising God. Not talking about anything else. The whole point when God works in our lives is that he's disciplining children so we will praise our Father. There's one reason you're on planet Earth. If you're a Christian. You're on planet Earth. One reason. Glorify God. That's it. We do that by how we live. Do that by sharing Christ with others. We do that by simple things like giving out food baskets after people less fortunate than us. We do it in the name of Jesus Christ, not the name of Randy Lockley or even the name of Christ Church, but only in the name of Christ Church as an entity through whom Christ himself worked. We do what we do so people will be drawn to our God. That's what glorify means. Honor, exalt, and give a correct estimate of what our God means to us. Zacharias got it. It took him a little nine-month punish. He got it. God loved him, his purpose, to be father of John the Baptist. I love this naming thing. So traditionally, even today, a lot of families do it. If you have a son, especially the first son, you name him what? A lot of times you name him like my son. They, they thank me every day that I did not name my son Randy. I know there are many of you have had children. Sooner or later, somebody will step up to the plate and name their child Randy when you get saved. But that, we'll talk about that later. But traditionally in a Jewish home, if you, your firstborn male child was named, in this case, Zacharias Jr., little Zach, whatever. Zach's a great name, isn't it? 
He would have named him Zacharias or Zach or whatever. That's what they would do. That's why they couldn't understand. When you brought the child to be circumcised, you named him. Usually, sometimes we talked about last one, you got your permanent name years later, didn't know who you were, that kind of thing. But tradition. That's why they couldn't understand. They said his name is John. What did they say? John? You don't even have anybody in your family named John. You don't have a grand. Where'd this come from? So they said to Zacharias, they made signs. What's his name? And he writes what? His name is John. Where did he get the name John? Do you remember him last week? What did Gabriel say? Why he's going to have a son and his name is? What did John mean? Anybody remember? Look at your hand out. What's John mean? What? Gift of God. I have a son named John. Gift of God. Do you always like the gifts? You... No, I'm just kidding. Gift of God. God, Gabriel, was reminding Zacharias and Elizabeth, the entire world, this child didn't come by human. Where did he come from? He's a gift of God. For example, he tells Mary, you're going to have a son. His name is Jesus. What? Jehovah saves, the Savior. John the Baptist is a light to prepare for the Savior. So he reiterates the name. His name is John. If the miracle, his lips are loose and speak. I want to read you a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that's ever lived. Listen closely to this, particularly thinking about Christmas. Quote, it is joy to all nations that Christ is born, the Prince of Peace, the King who rules in righteousness. Beloved, the greatest joy is to those who know Christ as a Savior. The further you submit yourself to Christ the Lord, the more completely you know him, the fuller will your happiness become. Surface joy is to those who live where the Savior is preached, but the great deeps, the great fathomless deeps of solemn joy to glisten and sparkle with delight. Or for such as know the Savior, obey the anointed one, and have communion with the Lord himself. You will never know the fullness of the joy which Jesus brings to the soul, unless under the power of the Holy Spirit you take the Lord your master to be your all in all, and make him the fountain of your intensest delight. That's what joy to the world means, that Jesus Christ came on earth hearts. He doesn't, he doesn't just save me 40, 43 years. And the older I get, I realize how much a sinner I am. And the closer you get to God, as you grow in your faith, the more Spurgeon, that joy is peace on earth. God gave me with him, of him, through what Jesus did. And so my response is to go into all the world, whatever my little world might be, Zacharias, the world, I have mine, you have yours. God placed us here now, 2010, and going forward. Say the joy to the Lord. He'll give you on earth. You can't get anywhere else. He'll give you hope, the candles we've been lighting, peace. He'll show you love that never understood. Never understood because he came. So finally, the last thing I want us to look at is the prophecy of Zacharias, starting in verse 67. Theological circles down through the years, this is known as the Benedictus. The Benedictus, like Mary's song, is known as the Magnificat. This is known as the Benedictus. What's really interesting as you read his prophecy, now this is what Zacharias has said after nine months, God has had to punish him, got his attention. His son is born, he's named his son, his son has been circumcised. Now going forward, this is what he talks about. And out of this whole Benedictus, only two verses talk about John the Baptist, his son. The rest of it is about Jesus, the coming Messiah. Because you see, that's the focus. Another principle for us to learn. Was this a great blessing in the life of Zacharias to have this boy? Of course it was. Other than maybe that the fact that it's all tied in with him being able to burn the incense, what a great honor that was. The highlight, think about your own life. The highlights of your life, getting married, your children are born. They couldn't even have children, never expected to have them. And suddenly they have a child, not just a child, but the forerunner of the Messiah. What a great honor. What a great privilege. What a high joy. But here's the, here's the principle. That joy that occurs on earth drive me to praise for the God that impossible other know that. That's a message of Christmas. Not just joy to my world, joy to my world in which I live. Share it. That's what he does. Let's look at the Benedictus, verse 67. Start there. 
Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The first thing about his benedictus that he talks about, his Zacharias' property, is that salvation is coming. Look at verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. I want you to think about this for a moment. Nine months earlier, Zacharias didn't even believe he was going to have a baby, right? God called, has taught him quite a bit in this nine-month period of time. I want you to notice the tenses of the verbs in verse 68. God has visited and what? He's put it in a present tense. It hasn't even happened yet. Jesus has been born yet? Hasn't happened yet. But he's so convinced it is going to happen, puts it present tense. Trusting God. God has visited. God has redeemed. It's really fascinating about this also. We're studying as we're going through Malachi, wrapping up Malachi. How long has it been since they've had a prophetic word from God? 400 years. Gabriel appears to him. It's been 600 years. We talked about last week. Last time Gabriel stood before a man with Daniel to talk about the Messiah. Now he appears to talk about the Messiah to Zacharias. Think about the privilege again. He gets to burn the incense. His wife has a baby. He's the father of John the Baptist, the father of the one who was the forerunner of the Messiah. And God gives him the next prophetic word. What an incredible honor of a godly man, not a perfect man, just like you, not perfect. 400 years. By the way, the word, the verb uh, redeemed there means to release prisoner or free a slave. That's exactly what happened to you with saved. You released the prisoners and you were set free, sin or master. It's a saved you. That's what a savior does. You see, to the Jews, and even at this point, and even up to the resurrection, the Jews believed Jesus was going to do what? As the Messiah, what was he going to do? He was going to overthrow the Romans and they were going to rule again. That's what they thought was going to happen. The Messiah was going to come and be a political, military ruler on earth. That's what they thought. That's what even Zacharias is thinking. Because notice what he says. He has, he has brought us the horn of salvation in the house of David. John the Baptist would not have been in the house of David, so there is one to come. We know that to be Jesus. It's really, it's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus referred to as the horn. But I want you to see this Old Testament metaphor. The horn was a fierce fearsome, deadly weapon from a wild ox, a bull, or a ram. Notice the verses that are on the screen. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 132 says, I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed, the anointed, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Psalm 89 says, you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. The horn of salvation. God promised it. John the Baptist will announce it. Jesus will fulfill it. Look at verse 70 for a moment. And look on your handout there and tell me what Zechariah's name means, Hebrew slash Greek. What does it mean? What? You see it there on your handout? Under number one, what does his name mean? God remembers. God keep his word. Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, God, who have begun since, since the world began, we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God spoke by the prophets. What God speaks comes true. Jesus studied his life to fulfillment of well over 300 messianic prophets. Old Testament been going on with God had prophets. Verse 71, we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. God remembers his covenant. The entire Bible flows from the Abrahamic covenant where God promised to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, 
I'm going to give you more descendants than you can count. And I'm going to give you a seed through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Galatians then tells us that was Christ. Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seed of many, but as one and to your seed who is Christ. So the promise God made to Abraham, he then works through the nation of Israel. Abraham had Isaac, then Isaac had Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 tribes, the Jews, through whom came David, who came the, the son of David, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, promised one, born in Bethlehem. We celebrate that Christmas coming of Christ's child who was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. God always keeps word. God always keeps word. Now notice verse 74. Notice our response. Being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. The horn, the great fulfillment. He came and he defeated our enemies, sin and death. When I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, die, where do I go? The Bible tells me I go to paradise. The Bible tells me death has no fear for me. The grave has no sting in my life. That I go home, I go to paradise, and God welcomed me as a child the best day of my life. Sin is no longer an issue. Death is no problem for me. That's made possible because Christ's child came. It's made possible because die. That's made possible because Jesus rose. That's what we celebrate. That's what joy to the world really means. So we live without fear because God is our Father. We live a holy life, a righteous life. We serve him all the days of our life. And then finally, you see John the Baptist role in verse 76. And you, child, John the Baptist, will be called prophet of the highest, God. You will go before the face of the Lord, God, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring, that means sunrise, from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child, John the Baptist, grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. You will be prophet of God, preparer of the Lord's ways, and you will preach to give knowledge of salvation, remission of sins. It's really fascinating when you study John the Baptist. He gets to announce the dawning of light. You go over and you, we're not going to do it now, but if you go over and you read in John chapter 1, it talks about John the Baptist coming. It said there was a man sent from God named John, and he came to be a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. The day spring, the sunrise, the announcing of a new day, the Christ. John the Baptist, the privilege of announcing. Remember, the first time he saw Jesus, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes the world. And he told his own followers, you follow him. You follow him because he will baptize you with fire. He's baptized with water. He's God. You follow him. He said, I, one of my favorite verses of John chapter 3, he says, I'm, he must increase, talking about Jesus, but I decrease. See, that's what Christianity is. Christ, when Jesus Christ increased in Randy, and Randy automatically decreased joy to the world. See, God brings something at Christmas that you can't get anywhere. Else. Peace, joy, hope. Years ago, and this is a, this is a, this is a Christmas carol I'm, I'm sure you've heard, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. It was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in 1864, height of the Civil War. Well, I, re I was reading about it, and his wife, about two years prior to this, she was uh, doing something with one of her, their children's hair by candle, and her dress caught on fire. And she, he heard her scream, and she's engulfed in flames, and Longfellow ran to try to put her out, just beating on trying to get the flames out. She died the next day, and he was scarred severely from flames, trying to put her out. Then during the Civil War, his son was wounded severely in the battle. He writes this Christmas carol 
1864. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along through unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now that's what you'll find in your hymn book. That's where I got those words. We have an old hymn book at our home. It sits on our piano, and I went and looked it up. That's what's in our hymn book. I want you to listen to these two verses that are not in the hymn book, also written by Longfellow, also part of the original carol. From each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned, peace on earth, goodwill to me. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Very despairing, very depressing. But then he brought him back to the rest of the carol, and in despair I bowed my head. But then I understood, pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, or does he? The wrong shall fail, right veil. You see, you will have a difficult time. People around you will have difficult time. There are a lot of people celebrating this holiday, have no idea why Christ came. You know, and in a difficult time, you still come back to God. Is, God is there. He gives goodwill to the Christ child. Lord, we do thank you that we have, because of Jesus Christ, can have peace. He came, he grew, he ministered, he died in our place. The perfect sin sacrifice. So Lord, I pray we should be excited about Christmas. We should enjoy it. But I pray in the midst of all of that, we'd understand why we have peace. Why we could sing about joy. Because Christ child came. Jesus was God. We thank you for the message, even the birth of John the Baptist. How miraculously you are molding, shaping history. Because you're in control. We thank you for that. We just ask, Father, use us to share the great, credible message. Peace on earth. We pray in Jesus.